Hey guys, we're back with another episode of the Black Box Podcast. I'm your host, John. And I'm your host, Ahmed. And today we're going to be talking blockchain. We're going to be talking crypto and all of that, like everything that has to do with that, right? So we have two guests today, uh, our boys, Mark and Brendan. Um, and they're quite knowledgeable on the topic, would you say? Yeah. Uh, well, actually, Marcus uh, just recently won a couple prize places in the Chainlink Hackathon. So that's actually really impressive, and we'll get into his projects a little bit. Uh, Brendo, I think he knows about blockchain a little bit, but he's not super well-versed, so hopefully he'll serve as a point of view as a learner like the audience maybe. Uh, yeah, so you want to dive in? This one's going to be dope. All right. So, uh, Marcus, you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and then we'll get let Brendan do his thing? Yeah, sure. So, uh, hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Marcus. People also call me Mark. I am a kind of like an amateur or intermediate blockchain developer. I got into the space about six months ago. And uh, so, let me kind of talk about the origin of me getting into the space. So, back in 2019, actually, let me go back a little bit further than that. So, when I first heard about Bitcoin. So I think it was 2013 and 2014 when I first heard about Bitcoin. And I didn't really know what it was. I was like a stupid teenager at the time. And I was playing this game called Team Fortress 2. And people were talking about trading their hats or it's like thousands of dollars in that game for Bitcoin. And I'm like, I was, well, I was curious about it, but like I never really uh, looked into it too deeply. But I wish I did because uh, <laughs> that, that would have been great. It would have. We'd be Bitcoin. in a different place right now. <laughs> yeah. So like if I, if I had cashed out my um, hats, I would have two Bitcoin right now fully from that time. Plus whatever extra Bitcoin I probably would have compounded knowing that from then. But anyway, uh, so that's, that's like back then, but let's go to 2019. So 2019, I have a specific memory about blockchain. So I, <laughs> I was looking for scholarships for college. Right. And what happened was, I saw this scholarship for blockchain and I thought it was like, I thought it was like very kind of like, it just, it stuck out to me, but I didn't really understand it. Like it sounded interesting, but I was like, are they just talking about Bitcoin? Like I didn't know what smart, uh, smart contracts were and all that. So I was like kind of aware of it, but I really didn't understand what was happening with the space. But you didn't, yeah, you heard, I feel like most people at that point, they knew of the name but they didn't actually know the inner workings of it or like the architecture of a blockchain yeah so um the biggest thing so let me so this is where it gets interesting so i think in 2020 like i heard about ethereum people were talking about it but i had a very like on the surface like watered down understanding i really didn't understand how it works still but like people said something like gold is uh sorry bitcoin is gold and ethereum is gas and i'm like so we're just we're we're just gonna treat that like I guess commodities. Like I thought it was stupid. I was like, okay, whatever. And I just bought some, I guess like not a lot, but like out of curiosity, it was like screw it, people were talking about it. And I think the most important thing that has kind of happened and that got me to the space is uh GameStop. Like early this year, I was kind of involved in the whole GameStop fiasco and like kind of the shady behind the scenes like stock trading or whatever. Like uh 
naked like short selling and all that. Yeah. So the yeah the problem was that there were these hedge funds and sorry if I butcher this. It's been a while, but there were there were these hedge funds that were heavily shorting these stocks like uh, very aggressively, and uh, b- people were trying to buy up the stock to create a short squeeze. And what happened was, well, here's the story that I guess Robinhood told to people. They were like, "Hey, we're gonna stop. We're gonna halt trading." I think. I forgot what it was exactly. They either stopped like buying or selling. And because of that, like the market freaked out and it just caused like a negative like spike down. So a lot of people were pretty shocked by that and thought it was very shady because they were like very like hush hush about it. And supposedly their liquidity provider for those shares was, I think, um, Citadel. I think that's the name of the hedge fund you guys. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So it's Citadel. And the fact that, uh, they're a major hedge fund, and it's like they're looking out for another hedge fund. I think it was Melvin Capital that was the one that was shorting to it. It's been like months since <laughs> that happened. I'm trying to like remember the names of everything. But yeah. So basically so that, that experience led you to get back into crypto more heavily? Well, well, no, 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 no. So what happened was that happened, and I was like, I was like, something really shady happened, and we really didn't know what happened here, right? It was very like... Word of mouth, like, oh, hey, this is what happened, but you don't, you don't, you don't really don't get to see what happened behind the scenes. You right? never heard the facts. Yeah, exactly. You're just like told like a press release. But then I, what I was doing was I was on these like message forums, reading about like blockchain and stuff, and then I heard this thing called Uniswap, and this this really changed my whole view on the blockchain space completely. Um, Uniswap is it's basically like Robinhood. You can trade whatever asset that you want. Like you could trade your um, Ethereum for uh, USDC, which is a stable coin. So when USDC is equal to $1, or you could trade other uh, blockchain assets like Chainlink or Uniswap or Bancor or other assets like that. But there's a, here's a thing that I think a lot of people need to watch out for. Like when you swap for, this is a little technical, but you can't actually physically buy Bitcoin with Ethereum when you do a swap, right? Because those are two separate blockchains. So the way you actually buy Bitcoin with something like Uniswap is you have to use a tokenized version of or like an ERC-20 token or some type of token that's emulating the price action of Bitcoin, right? So the way that kind of works is that you use Chainlink kind of in the background to track that price. So it's, it's like a virtual Bitcoin. It's like tethered. It's like pegged to Bitcoin. So that kind of makes sense. So yeah, what is... I guess just to clarify for the people listening, what is the purpose of Chainlink in that case? So Chainlink has a lot of different services, but for that specific uh, service, they have what's known as like a decentralized price feed service. So they have, instead of having one person reporting the price of something, they have say, and I guess it depends, but for the bigger price feeds, I think they can have 32 or more main dedicated price feeds, or they could have even more. Like you don't necessarily have to be part of, I guess, the main uh oracles reporting it there could be more that could be added that are not fully screened but the idea is that they're all about having extra reporting fair price exactly yeah so like if there's one bad actor one bad faith actor that wants to come in and say hey there's like i have a short position open i have an incentive to crash the price of something and manipulate it because i'll profit immensely when you have all those different stakeholders kind of Together, they're uh, aggregating the price together at the same time. If that one person tries to act out, it's not going to impact the network. So I think there's there's a lot of value in that. I definitely think so too. Yeah, but wait. wait uh, also, real quick, one thing before we get too deep. Uh, 
Brenda. Yeah. Just so what's up, guys? Introduce yourself quick because we're already in the de- the depths Mark, of this. Mark loves <laughs> this shit, so I can't combo. stop him. But hey, guys, I'm Brendan. So I know John and Ahmed from Stony Brook. I'm also electrical engineer. Ahmed was actually the first person I met coming to Stony Brook just by coincidence of like a orientation event. And I guess I'll play like the role. I guess I'm gonna play like the role of like the uh, boomer in this in this chat. Yeah, I'd say uh, Brendan is basically the embodiment of a boomer investor, but in a uh, 23-year-old's body. So I give him plenty of shit for that. Um, I mean, I, I do yeah, talk that, to Brendan a lot about the market, and I, I, I feel like we do kind of relate, but we can talk about that if we have time later on in the podcast about like the market in general too. Yeah, That's definitely. Kind of talk about the tech. I but, feel like uh, I'm somewhere in between boomer and zoomer. I'm totally <laughs> zoomed. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah. Uh, I guess I, f- I feel like I feel like John, you like borderline live in the metaverse. <laughs> I'm so into it now too. I'm like fully, <laughs> fully committed. Mark, I think it's important to bring up. I want to hear your thoughts on uh, Cardano. <laughs> I don't know if I. I don't think we'll talk about that on the. Podcast. Why not? I don't know. Well, maybe later. Maybe later, briefly. But um, I, I want to keep it tame. I want to. I want to keep it tame. I mean, it's hard to say. I, well, they did a test net with, so I'm going to, I'm not trying to be mean, but I'll, I'll just kind of talk about it. So uh, there was a test that I think for Sunday Swap a few months ago, and I think they have a new one and they haven't kept up with the new one. But the issue that they had was that, and here's the analogy I explained to Brennan. Basically, what was happening is that for the base architecture of like the L1 of Cardano, so I think... I'm not sure what the TPS is exactly, but the idea is that um, with Ethereum, you can have, I think there's a block every 15 seconds, but let me double check how many transactions are a block. And how many transactions per block, yeah. I'm pretty sure it had something to do with the fact that the architecture that it was built on kind of had a flow in it that, right? Is that not true? Um, yeah, so I think, I think it's saying, yeah, you really can't get a, specific answer but mark you're mostly uh ethereum right that's like your coin that you that you prefer i mean there's there's polygon as well and i think bitcoin is good as well what happened to chain link i think chain link is good too but chain link's purpose is kind of like a specific application well, Chainlink is uh, it's it's chain agnostic. I'm I'm still looking for this in the background. You guys can look as well for how many blocks, for how many transactions transactions are on a block for Ethereum. But the idea is that I think Cardano and Chainlink did have a partnership as well, and I think Avax is very heavily like Avalanche is very heavily tied with Chainlink as well. I think uh, Sergey Nazarov and I think the creator of a- a- Avalanche have spoken on multiple podcasts together. So, and I think uh. Other major chains are integrated. So it's a very, um, it's not biased at all. It kind of wants all these L1s like Ethereum, Solana, Cardano, and all these other chains, I think, in Polygon to succeed. Yeah. So what you right there, you just said level one L1 tokens. What is, can you kind of get into that a little? What's so, how many levels are there? Two, three, four? So I'm not, <laughs> so I'm not an expert on the Ls, but here's my understanding. So, the idea is that like Ethereum is an L1. It's like the base layer. It's the base architecture of a smart contract blockchain, right? So it's like level those, one. 
exactly. It's like the the base currency that you would use to handle a transaction. But an L2, say something like, so this is a little bit more complicated, but an L2 is, say, like Optimism, Arbitrum, or ZK rollups. So the first two are both optimistic rollups, and I think they use uh, proofs. So I think Optimism is a little cheaper. It uses a single proof to verify a transaction. Arbitrum uses um, can use multiple proofs. ZK rollups can use actually I don't think it's it's proofless. Like you could actually what is a proof transaction? Wait, wait, sorry. What is a proof? So I don't it, know the exact. It, it's kind of hard because you don't want to get. And yeah, I don't know the exact different definition in terms of the context of uh, blockchain. But from my understanding, it has to do with verifying it's a legitimate transaction on the blockchain. That's my understanding. Don't quote me on that. <laughs> but gotcha. uh, let me. There's a really good analogy for kind of deciphering between optimistic rollups like Optimism and Arbitrum 1 and with ZK rollups. So let me read it out. This is a quote from a Twitter handle at L2Beat.com, L2Beat. So the analogy is this. So two, ro- two rollups walk into a bar. The barman asks, can I see your IDs? ZK rollup says, I can prove to you. I'm eight, over 18, but I won't show you my ID. Optimistic rollup says, if nobody can prove I'm under age in seven days, that means I'm over 18. So that's kind of like the analogy I like to use for it because it is a little tricky to look at. But Could you break that down a little more? Because I'm still a little bit confused. Yeah. So the idea, again, is with the ZK rollup, it can kind of verify something without having to do all the heavy computational math for it. And... Like it can it's, basically it present the, it could present the the data without actually uh, like revealing what it is. Yeah, I, prove that it's valid. Yeah, I'm I'm I'm, I'm going to make an assumption here. I don't know if this is fully correct, but I think it goes back to this uh, reducto ad absurdum. That's like a mathematical like proof to say like proof by absurdity. I guess it's saying like, okay, this is not true. Therefore, like there's a way of like proving something that's more complicated by doing it in a simpler way, so to speak, or without having to do the more difficult proof for it. Gotcha. If that makes sense. So the, I guess the lightest, the most lightweight version of them all is ZK rollups. Like for, here's the thing that kind of is a lot of people don't like about. Optimism. So a, a proof is basically doing the computational math. I think so. Yeah. Or think, whatever method that would be lighter in, in intensity, but yeah, it's yeah. A, I, again, I'm, I'm still like a beginner with the L2s. I haven't really researched them fully, but I mean, yeah, if you're not, we don't have to focus on them too much. If you feel I like. guess, I guess a good question for Mark yeah. is a lot of people like viewing or listening to this podcast is, are going to want to know, like, why should they be interested in crypto? So in your perspective, what do you think is the reason why you should be interested in crypto? Is it like a hedge against governments? What is the way that you view crypto and its function like society? Yeah, I'll come back to that. I, I wanted to come back to the Cardano thing in a little bit with the TPS if you guys can help verify like some of the math with it. But um, I'll answer that question first. So the biggest thing was GameStop, right? When basically someone screws you over in finance and they don't give you a good an- explanation for what happened, you're basically getting screwed over, right? So mm-hmm. blockchain kind of prevents that from happening. Like with the blockchain, you're able to see exactly what's happening. So let me explain that in terms of the context of GameStop. So GameStop, like Citadel had their liquidity, right? They're saying, oh, we don't have a liquidity or Robinhood said that they didn't have their liquidity, but we have no idea of really seeing what was in their liquidity at that time, right? Like Robinhood or whatever 
financial entity, they do quarterly reports. We don't know what's happening in between those quarterly reports, right? It's like only stuff that the accountant would see, right? Yep. Yeah. So, so you think they can do shady stuff and then return it back to something that looks like what it was before in the last quarter? Yeah. Chainlink likes to talk about Enron, right? You guys know Enron? Uh, is that a ticker? A stock no, ticker? Enron was a company back in the 90s that cooked the books really hard and mm-hmm. obliterated people's like uh, financial future. Like some people put all their money into, into Enron while working at it and they lost their whole 401k. It was, it was insane how much I fraud actually, was happening. I learned about that company in like a case study I had to do. And there were employees, like a- accounting employees that were forced to like basically cook the books and all of them got fired and their like jobs and careers were kind of ruined. Even though it was probably something that was being held over their head. Yeah, they were kind of forced by their boss. Is where cryptocurrency and blockchain come in because it's like a fair game, a fair playing field because it's controlled by computers and not humans. Do you guys Yeah, so go on, Mark? So again, again, the idea is that instead of having to wait every like couple of months, like every quarter, like quick math. Yeah. But so instead of having to wait every three months, you can know like every 15 seconds the state of a smart contract, which can be handling all the business logic. And it could be a liquidity provider, right? So I could look at a pool at every, like every 15 seconds and see the state of it. What is a liquidity provider? What's a liquidity pool? Explain that for the listeners real quick. So a liquidity pool is basically a pool where there are assets, right? And a liquidity provider could be someone like you or me. So again, so think of like the liquidity pool is like a smart contract, right? It's like an entity that lives on a blockchain that can handle business logic and I could program it. That's that's the beauty of a smart contract. You can write all this open source code and make it do whatever you want it to do. Like you could check like like if certain values are set or if someone has been in like a uh, pool for a certain amount of time for like a lockup time or how much yield they would get depending on that time, they would do the math for that. Or it could be with Chainlink, you can use real world data. Like let's say that you have like insurance, like an insurance claim like something happened or something didn't happen. So like if the, if the event happened, you would be able to access the funds for that policy that you bought. But if nothing happened, then those funds are still locked in the contract. If that okay. makes sense. Do you guys, does that force you to think of any questions? Uh, I, I have more, I have more general questions. Like Mark, do you think, yep. so do you think governments are going to regulate it? And if so, do you think it's a positive or negative thing for cryptocurrencies? Well, I think it's inevitable. I think governments are going to try to regulate it. But again, the idea, and I think JP has talked about this in the past, is that it's going to be literally impossible for the government to kind of shut all of this down. They'd have to hunt down every single person that's mining Ethereum or providing a liquidity like with proof of stake to the network and find that person, find every single person that's doing that and make sure that, make sure that they're not doing it and find their hardware that's doing, uh, you know, the mining as well so to speak so that they'd have to have this insane manhunt to find every single not person only but every single device so i don't think it's realistic i think they could probably like regulate it and put taxes on it but um some people i think have told me like well there's going to be the blockchain like the government is going to have its own crypto or blockchain right but here's a here's an example where i'm not really that defeats the purpose yeah. yeah but here's here's a great example of why i think that i'm very bearish on that and i want to put my money into that 
like look at i think there was a i don't remember all the details but i think in china there was a they had like a digital currency and i think they were thinking about or they had like a concept where they would have they could at any time they could put a time limit on that currency in your wallet or a certain amount of like they could yeah, take a, they, like they a basically could force you on spending money on they could withhold your pay like it once it's controlled and centralized it doesn't serve the same purpose it's yeah digital it's, money at that point it's 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 crazy yeah the idea that someone could just be like oh hey you might not even notice it. They could just be like, oh, hey, uh, we're going to put a time limit on the amount of money that you have. And if you don't spend it, it's going to turn into nothing. Like that's that's just theft in my so, opinion. I think it's, I think that's so cool. someone like me yeah. who's more of a boomer, you know, we like our real assets and shit. What do you think like a concept of something like a cryptocurrency that represents gold so that you could transact in gold, but you have the ability to do, you know, finite amounts. You don't have to take a brick of gold and break it in half to pay someone. Do you think it has feasibility? Yeah, exactly. To so let me let me repeat the question. Are you talking about like the I guess like breaking up cryptocurrencies instead of like buying one Bitcoin, you could buy like a tenth of a Bitcoin or a thousandth of a Bitcoin? What was, what was your question so, about? So basically a cryptocurrency that's based off of a real asset. So for every bar of gold, maybe it represents one gold coin. A digital gold coin, of course. And then since it's a gold coin, crypto, it could be transacted in increments. Where the issue with gold is you can't physically just break gold in half or in, in fractions to pay someone. You can't you can't buy a bag of chips with like yeah. a gold bar. Exactly. Yeah, I mean I actually listened to there was a there was a kind of like a debate with um I forgot what who was hosting it, but Peter you guys know Peter Schiff, right? He's like a total like he loves gold. I'm talking yes. about Peter Schiff. Yeah. Yeah. So <clears throat> Peter Schiff went on like a He's a podcast. Bitcoin minimalist, right? Yeah, so like his his son loves Bitcoin though. Um, but uh, yeah, but anyway, he was talking about how there's no need for Bitcoin because you could send shares or like uh, like a contract for gold, right? Not in terms of he, he means in like traditional finance, like oh, I could send like shares of like a company or like a vault. But again, that's like that's an I that's like an IOU note. Like, what if that company or that vault gets like destroyed or it's not maintained anymore? That's like a that's a pay, that's a and cha- with Chainlink, they kind of call it a quote-unquote paper promise, the idea of like, hey, we're going to write this on paper, but hey, if our company doesn't exist in like a few years, that's just a piece of paper. It doesn't actually mean anything, right? Yep. Or like so, what happens if they lose like the digital or physical copy of it, of like your proof of ownership? Exactly. So let me... so. What I'll do is we'll talk about, I guess, Cardano for a little bit because I, I, I can't find the exact number, but I think roughly from what I remember, I think it's 14 transactions per second for Ethereum, but I think you can only have uh, one transaction per block for Cardano. And I think Ethereum has like, it has more, <clears throat> it has orders of magnitude more. I forgot what the exact number, but I think the frequency of the blocks is about the same, but uh, it's, uh, there's way less, uh, I guess, information you can fit in the cardano like block so to speak so that bandwidth problem is pretty severe because instead of like having to get like a block like every couple seconds with ethereum where you can have multiple people try to get that block as opposed to just having like the analogy i use is like think of it as like a bus or like a van as opposed to like those like little tiny little smart cars that fit like one person so if if they i mean if they can figure out like the l1 problem with cardano 
then I think it could be bullish. But like, I think the way it was built, like it was, I don't know the exact architecture, but it's kind of based off of the, um, like Bitcoin is based off of, I guess, transactions and that a Cardano kind of follows that, but Ethereum is based off of balances. So th- that architecture is why that kind of limitation is there, so to speak, even though I think Bitcoin recently had an update with Taproot, which is like a smart contract, like addition feature. But I haven't really looked into that either, even though it could have some interesting applications. But right. uh, I'm gonna Mark, around. I got to ask you. Sure. How how did you get so educated on like this topic in particular? So I I won't talk too much about like I guess <laughs> I won't talk too much about like my sources I guess but because <laughs> some of them are questionable but anyway uh, I I guess in terms of development I think being a developer in the space gives you a huge edge if you're going to invest as well because you can kind of see what projects are legit and what are kind of like shady I guess. So mm-hmm. what I did is I, this is not a promotion, by the way, I took this course for free. I took like a 10 hour free course from like DAP university. The guy has great educational content. I think eat the blocks is a lot of other free content as well. And I actually, my YouTube channel, it's called singularity 2045. It actually has some solidity programming tutorials as well, where you can create a liquidity pool kind of what we're going back to. Cause I, I, I think Uniswap is like a great example of like, that's like the, the trending wheels example of like why this space is so important. The fact that I can do trades without having to go to like a financial institution, give my social security number or like my state ID. And I can do a trade without having to do that. And it could be anonymous. I think that's pretty revolutionary. Yeah. And Basically. another thing too, I wanted to add is that with Robinhood, from my understanding, they hold your funds like their their custodian has to maintain those funds in your account. But with like, say, like MetaMask or these other wallets, Uniswap doesn't own your funds. They can only take your funds during a swap. But like all those funds at any time, those are entitled to you. So you can use like MetaMask or I think all these other wallets, a Coinbase wallet or all these. There's a lot of wallets out there and they're doing like airdrops, I guess, trying to get attention but yeah. it is that you are your own bank, like truly, like they don't own your assets. They are only there to assist in transactions and yeah, they're there verify to verify all the. They're there to provide a liquidity pool, which people can put their LP and earn rewards on, and people can trade for that. And the incentive for people to put up their liquidity is that people earn fees, right? It's not like a free lunch. Like it's like I'm not going to put my money in the bank and not get any yield. It's like. That doesn't make any sense, right? I want my investments to make profit. So they make profit from some of the fees that are generated from that pool. So that's, in my opinion, I think that's pretty revolutionary. Like, I don't think I could go to uh, like a traditional company and be like, hey, I want to provide these assets easily like that in terms of like yeah. stocks, right? Like, unless, I'm, unless I like own the company and I'm like a shareholder, like in terms of like, um, like someone on the board or whatever, but you guys going to understand. Like, if I'm an actual owner of the company, then I can issue shares and I just print them, right? I have control of that. But anyone could just get, as long as you have enough assets or people that are willing to put up those assets, then you have a liquidity pool and then you create. Well, no. No, no, no. no. Okay. So the way this kind of works is that you don't necessarily, like, you can be someone that doesn't know a lot about the space. But if you just kind of go to the site, they'll have a tutorial on how to do it. And the the main thing that I would recommend is someone use like a wallet extension. Like to you could theoretically try to 
write code in JavaScript or like Python to trade with a liquidity pool. But that's, that's kind of like, unless you're trying to do like flashbot, like crazy, like metagaming the system, like I wouldn't recommend you do that unless you're like a pro. I don't if you're think a anyone knows what a flashbot is. No, that's an al- not that's a an clue, bro. Bot. That's, I'll, I'll, I'll ex- I could explain that later. That's another kind of technical topic, but. Uh, the idea is that with like a MetaMask, it's like, okay, the MetaMask wallet is like this little like orange fox pops up. It's like very user friendly and like you just put in your password and all this information and you just connect your wallet to the site and then it'll kind of tell you like, oh, hey, input this asset and then put in the amount of this asset that you want to trade and then pick the other asset that you that you want to trade. And then from there, it'll calculate how much of the funds you need to send. So if it's like Ethereum to like Uniswap, it's one transaction. But if you're sending, I guess, anything that's not Ethereum on the Ethereum blockchain, it's technically two transactions. This is a little technical, but um, like the, the reason they do it is that with like your MetaMask, it'll tell you how much Ethereum you're sending. But with tokens, like you have no idea of how many tokens you're sending at a time. There's no message dot value. We have seen that easily. So you have to approve those tokens being sent to that contract to the receiver and then you can do the swap so it's like it's like an extra layer of safety so that people don't just steal your funds if you click one button so to speak for your tokens does that make sense it's, that's like the sense. architecture standard for it how you how you guys doing brendo ahmed I, i'm learning i'm learning a lot right now for mark yeah i'm just tr- i'm trying to like keep up digest this yeah so let me let me repeat that again so the idea again so let me use another example so polygon i recently started using polygon polygon is what another cryptocurrency it it's yes but it's um to be more specific it's so it was originally called my understanding is that it was originally called matic the matic network but now it's called polygon like there was like a merge and so the polygon network is like a evm compatible network so what that basically means is that you can write Solidity code and it'll, it'll work. And I was, uh, I learned about, like, I knew about Polygon, but I didn't really understand how to develop with it. And that's why I was kind of like hesitant about it. But let me put it this way. So going back to what I was saying about message dot uh, value, so to speak, that's like how much Ethereum you would send for a transaction for the EVM. Instead of sending Ethereum on like Ethereum mainnet, you would, on Polygon, you would send Matic. So it will tell you, okay, you want to send one Matic to one USD, right? But in your MetaMask, so if I want to do the opposite to go from uh, a coin that's not Matic or something that's not Matic on the Polygon network, I have to approve it first because that's not the intrinsic asset or the intrinsic thing to pay gas to pay miners to do the transaction. So I have no, no idea what tokens I'm sending unless I approve them. It's a little It's a little tricky. I know it sounds... A little odd but think of it this way again you can clearly see the value being sent when you send like the, like ethereum or polygon on their respective networks but again the tokens you have no you have no idea of knowing you have to approve it if that makes sense or is it still kind of confusing mark i think you uh really really know this topic very well i think we may need to try <laughs> to try my best it's a it's, it, it's tricky <laughs> We might need to yeah bring it down a little one level. So, all right, yeah, no, I'm, I'll try to you, ground this a bit with the with maybe a slightly off, like sure. go slightly off topic. All right, so you know how you you were saying earlier 
like with your with your wallet, you log into your account and you're able to access all your funds and all of that. Um, what exactly happens in the in the situation where like your account get gets hacked or like the platform gets hacked? So it's like it, I will say this: it's kind of like no man's land. That's why some people are kind of scared of the space. So, mm-hmm. but people are working kind of vigilantly to have more security. But if you are, so here's, here's what I'm going to say. If you're going to get into this space and invest in it, do not put all of your assets in one place because you're asking for trouble. Like I would say, get multiple exchanges and maybe get a hardware wallet and spread all that out so that if you get hacked on one point, you don't lose all of your money, especially if you put all of your life savings into this because people have done that and they've lost all of their money, right? And this is a little on the side too, but some people use options too they trade with options in the space there are you, options in crypto yeah yeah did you know on binance you could have times 120 leverage did you know that or no i'm not <laughs> joking you can look that up. 120 120 leverage on options yeah on binance yeah so i've never like that's dangerous there's so many there's so many sto- like i think a couple weeks ago when there was like a huge like crash from like 69k to where we're at right now was like uh, Bitcoin. I think like a quarter of a million people got completely liquidated, like within like twenty four hours. Like there was like a YouTube stream of like there would be like a blip every time someone got a liquidation. It was just like blip blip blip. It was just like keep like you heard like all these liquidations happening so quickly. It was crazy. Damn. But in terms of, I guess sites like. Make sure I would recommend like you type in the name of a site so that you're not going to a phishing site. And I'm going to say this and people say it like a broken record. Never, ever put in your seed phrase into a site. There are so many people that have, okay, there are not so many people, but there are people that have been in the space that are experienced that have traded NFTs. And this person was going to this NFT site that seemed legit, but he had never heard of it. And he put in his seed phrase, which reveals your private key. And the guy lost everything in that wallet because he's like, okay, here's my private key. So, sorry, your private seed phrase, which is basically your private key. Like the, the way the analogy I use is that your seed phrase is like a human way of deciphering like this really complicated large number or large string that's hex yeah. encoded, right? Like I'm not going to remember something that is like this crazy 40 letter, whatever size it is, like hex string. Like I'll remember words like Apple, like cloud, like, that's that's easy to remember on a piece of paper, right? But you're not going to easily remember like 40 characters that are closely together because there's a huge chance you'll get that wrong, right? Yep. You know, I I recently I recently like opened up a wallet for myself and it, I remember reading the instructions and it was like please please make sure you write it down somewhere safe. Don't save it anywhere online and all of that. Yeah, never share that. Yeah, Yeah, you guys want to hear a funny story about why you should never have it online ever? Yes. So there was a a dude uh, that I heard this on YouTube somewhere, but there was a guy that was, I think, getting ready for a hackathon, I think last year or a couple months ago. And the guy, for some reason, he put his private key. Like what developers do or what you should do is you should, I guess the safest way to do this is that you should encrypt your uh, private key onto like the, this is very technical, <laughs> onto like kind of like the environmental variable on your computer, like the bash shell of it, right? 
This is this is for like developers. If you're a developer that's trying to get into the space, this is a very useful tip. And you'll know why in a second. This person, on the other hand, he put in his raw seed phrase and he he pushed or he committed the code onto GitHub. And I'm not okay. even kidding. Within like a minute, he lost half of his money in his wallet. So that's why you oh. do that. So within a because, minute? What yeah, someone because, was ready, they saw the push and just went and found the differences and saw that it was a seed phrase, plugged it in, and that was it? I think it was a bot. There was like bots. Oh, that they had something like just scrape. scraping it. Yeah, there was probably a scraper that was like kind of doing it, trying to, what they try to do is they try to like take small amounts slowly so you don't notice. Because if you just see all your funds gone, or you'll, you might freak out, but if they slowly take funds out, like subtly, they'll be able to more like silently take all of your money. But this person yep. noticed it and they were able to lock the funds. So it's a, it's a useful tip. So it might seem like over dramatic, but I think there was a developer in the space that said like, be paranoid because people, there are people that will wreck you. Like if you're a developer and you don't know what you're doing and you haven't tested anything and you haven't audited, especially if you're going to go like live with a product and try to have millions of dollars invest in your protocol i'd recommend you get audited too i've never had an audit because i've kind of just done a hackathon but it's highly recommended you do an audit if you're going to take real investors money because uh it could get taken instantly like all of it mark do you do you think since it seems like crypto has a lot of applications you think it's going to outperform the stock market over like the next 10 to 15 years or do you think it's going to be one of those it's, it's, you know, where it rises up, drops, and it's going to be this extremely volatile market for, you know, the foreseeable future. It's really hard to say. I mean, if you kind of zoom out on this year, we really haven't moved. Bitcoin is kind of like chopped around 60, 60 to 30K, but like we've been kind of stuck around 48K. Yeah. If you like look at it on like the macro level for this year. So it's, it's, it's very hard to say. It's very, it's a very unpredictable market. It's very volatile. Some people think that in the future it won't be as volatile when it more like kind of matures, but it's very it's very different who you ask. Like per, from person to person, can vary. Some people think it's a complete scam, the space, and it's going to die and fizzle out. Some people some people say that this is going to completely take over everything. So I think the idea is that I think people that are very against it are people that just think it's like, oh, I'm going to like trade my Doge coin for a McDonald's burger, and that sound, sounds stupid. Right, so like my shib- <laughs> like, that was so no cringe. To, like no offense to Dogecoin or shib holders, like like people that played it made a lot of money. So respect to those people that made money on it. But the idea is that with Ethereum again, I'm going to say this again, is that you can have a contract that is not just written on paper. Once you lock funds into a contract, those and you have that contract written on the blockchain, you can't change that. It's it's set in stone. There's no like, oh, I don't have the liquidity anymore. Like if you put funds in there and you have all the business logic in there, there's no way to really like scam someone. Even if your company goes bankrupt, those funds will still be in there if you put the right logic in there. Isn't basically a contract like also putting something in escrow because it it like has the conditions of the contract, waits until they're satisfied, then executes the contract. Exactly. Uh, you know where to find us, Black Box Podcast, No Way in the Black, <clears throat> Instagram and Twitter. You know the deal. Uh, check out some of our other episodes. Get an idea of you know what we're bringing to the table at Black Box. Thank you. <laughs>